The following is an encore presentation of Conversations Live with Vicki St. Clair. Vicki returns to broadcast live in studio starting in November. Enjoy today's program. Welcome to Conversations Live with Vicki St. Clair. Talk radio to inspire, inform, and stimulate. Bringing you enlightened discussions with authors, creatives, innovative business and health professionals, and ordinary people living extraordinary lives, sharing their expertise and life stories, making a difference one word at a time. Now, here's your host, Vicki St. Clair. Welcome, everybody. Welcome, welcome. Well, coming up today, we're going to end the, end the show today with one woman's journey with pain following a workplace injury. After a decade of constant debilitating pain, Sarah Ann Shockley wrote a book called The Pain Companion. She's learned to ease her pain, to live with it naturally, and uh, she's going to share some of her experiences with us uh, towards the end of the show. And if you use a computer every day or do any repetitive job, this could be a cautionary tale for you. So listen up. I think uh, I learned a lot from this story, from her story. <laughs> Maybe you can too. But first, if you're one of the many Americans who take prescription drugs, Dr. Jennifer Jacobs' new book raises the big question, do you really need that pill? More than 124,000 people die each year from adverse drug reactions, and more than 800,000 Americans uh, are, have serious reactions which result in hospitalization or life-threatening conditions or disabling reactions. So pretty uh, significant. And Dr. Jacobs has written a really great book uh, full of really important information that she's going to share uh, some of that with us today. And uh, let me tell you a little bit about her. She's a family practice physician specializing in integrative medicine. She's also a clinical assistant professor in epidemiology at the University of Washington School of Public Health and Community Medicine. And she's served on the advisory board of the NIH Office of Alternative Medicine. She co-founded the special interest group of the American Public Health Association on Complementary and Alternative Health Practices and is a current advisory board member of the monthly magazine Natural Health. And uh, she splits her times now between the Pacific Northwest and uh, Tucson, Arizona. So we're very pleased to have her here today. Dr. Jennifer Jacobs, welcome. Thank you, Vicki. Thank you for having me. My pleasure. And the book, again, is called Do You Really Need That Pill? How to Avoid Side Effects, Interactions, and Other Dangers of Over-Medication. And uh, I was looking for something like this. I wanted to do a story on medication because uh, we hear so many horror stories about uh, people having reactions or and sometimes abusing medication but uh, or not getting the right kind of medication. So... I was really pleased when the, uh, your book landed on my desk, Dr. Jacobs. And so I wonder what, uh, well, I know what started it because I, I read it in your book. You, this really uh, started as a journey for you when your 88-year-old mother-in-law came out of hospital and you were like, what? <laughs> Tell us what happened. Yes, that's right. Well, she was hospitalized for kidney failure and dehydration and when she was discharged from the hospital, the diagnosis was polypharmacy, which was a term I hadn't heard before. But certainly, when I looked at her records, I realized she had been taking 13 different drugs, uh, all of which interacted together and the side effects uh, threw her into kidney failure. And fortunately, she was able to uh, survive that. But it really led me to investigate this uh, problem, and I was shocked to find out that almost half of seniors, people over age 65, take five or more prescription drugs, um, and about 12% of them take 10 or more. So certainly this is an epidemic uh, of prescription drugs that we really aren't hearing enough about. Right. And so when you set out to write the book, um, you wanted to to really get into this and talk about why are we having this epidemic of over-medication, which drugs do we really need, and, and how do you approach this subject with your doctor? Because, um, 
I'm sure we've all had great doctors who don't want to give us medication and others who just want to throw everything at us. So uh, what, what, how did you begin the book? How did you begin the research for the book? Well, actually, I started uh, looking at statin drugs, which at the time I was researching the book, there were new guidelines that came out that pretty much said that everybody over age 65 should be taking a statin drug. And this concerned me. So I started looking into that and realized that this was certainly an area where people were being overprescribed. And talking to other people about this problem, I kept hearing more and more stories of people, I'm sure you have your own stories, who had a bad effect from a drug, who had an interaction from drugs, um, and I realized that it was a huge problem that wasn't really being addressed. Another situation that happened uh, that brought this fully to my attention was with my uncle, who was 92 years old, and he was pretty fit. He walked every day. We spoke on the phone. But he went to his internist, who did some memory tests and decided that he had early onset Alzheimer's disease. I think you may have read this in the book, Vicki, but I would like to right. tell everyone about it. Oh, yes, it please do, please. it's an interesting story. So anyway, his uh, internist started him on a new drug that was supposed to slow down the progression of Alzheimer's. Uh, shortly after that, he had started having trouble holding his urine, which he'd never had problems before. And so the doctor prescribed another drug to treat that problem, after which he started becoming more and more confused and belligerent. And the doctor then wanted to give him a third drug. Um, my cousin called me and said, what's going on? I looked up the side effects of these medications and realized that the first medicine he was taking has a side effect of incontinence of urine, and the second one can cause confusion. So I told her to have him stop taking everything, and within two weeks, he was back to normal. Mm. It's so important. You know, I, I do read all the contraindications if I have to have a medication if I'm sick. Um, and several years ago when was when I first moved up here, so a long time ago actually, I got really sick for several weeks and I kept going back to the doctor and saying, I think it's my allergy medicine that's making me sick. And he said, no. He said, they'll put on there that it can cause bronchitis, but it really won't. Uh, you just have a virus. And anyway, long story short, eight weeks into this, they finally gave me an x-ray and I had bronchitis. And I, I stopped taking that allergy medicine and uh, I haven't taken it since. <laughs> <laughs> well, good for you. Yes, it, it's very difficult for people to go against what their doctors tell them. Um, and I'm hoping that my book will give people enough ammunition that they can go to their doctors and say, look, I really am not sure I need to be taking this. Um, and hopefully their doctors will respond. Yeah, I think it's really important. One of the reasons I love the book is because it's very accessible. Uh, yes, you share stats and you share uh, your research, but the book itself is put together in such an easy way to read and you know, for people to realize, well, maybe I should be double-checking this. So I want to just, uh, I, I think we have to get this out of the way. Why are we prescribed so many drugs? Because in many cases, we really don't need them. Yes. Well, it is a multifactorial situation. Of course, the pharmaceutical companies are the big reason for this. I mean, they're out to make a profit. So the more drugs people take, the more money they make. Yeah, just to, just to give some numbers here. I mean, you say in the book, $3.75 billion uh, it was the 3.75 billion industry in 2014. No, three and a half, uh, 375. Oh, excuse me, billion. that's right. It's the way I've written my note. 375, yeah. And uh, that had not quite, but almost doubled. Uh, it, they expected to almost double by 2020. Yes, and they spend an average of $14 million a day, each day, advertising directly to consumers, mostly on TV. Mostly in between the news. <laughs> yes. And also, it's interesting that the United States and New Zealand 
are the only countries in the world that allow direct-to-consumer advertising. Right. So that's one big reason. People see something on TV, and then they go to their doctor, and they say, oh, should I take this? And doctors are pressured. You know, they have very strong time constraints, and it's often easier for them to just go ahead and prescribe something uh, rather than take the time to explain why someone doesn't need it or take the time to talk to them about you know, nutrition and exercise and a lot of the other healthy habits that people can have in order to avoid taking drugs. Right, right. And you say it's not just pharmaceuticals, non-pharmacological drugs, for example. Um, have We have many, many trips to the emergency department. I think it was 2,000 hospitalizations each year um, just due to adverse reactions to dietary supplements. Yes, yes. Yes, just because it's not pharmaceutical doesn't mean it's good for you. The same thing goes for over-the-counter drugs. There's something like 16,000 deaths each year for, from over-the-counter pain medications like aspirin and ibuprofen. So um, anything you put into your body can be dangerous, especially if you use too much of it. Right, right. So let's look at what we need to, well, we'll need to take a quick break, first of all. Um, we didn't realize the time here. So we're going to take a very quick break, and uh, we'll be right back. I'm talking with Dr. Jennifer Jacobs. Her new book is Do You Really Need That Pill? And uh, lots more to talk about here. Please stay with us. Parkinson's disease affects as many as one million people in the United States. At the Parkinson's Disease Foundation, it's our mission to beat this disease. To learn about the Parkinson's Disease Foundation, or if you want to help support our work, visit our website, pdf.org, or call us at 800-457-6676. In the Northwest, contact the Northwest Parkinson's Foundation at nwpf.org. Knowing your breasts can save your life. Go to knowyourgirls.org for the facts you need on breast health. Brought to you by Susan G. Coleman and the Ad Council. At Sundown Communications, we find that most of our clients are brilliant at what they do, but they lack the time and resources to write and create business messaging that delivers results. That's where we come in, providing a diverse range of professional copywriting services for fresh strategic web content, PR, advertising and promotion, marketing, speeches, and much more. Call us today so you can focus on what you do best, and we'll do the rest. Call 800-495-7617. That's 800-495-7617. You're listening to Conversations Live with Vicki St. Clair. Talk radio to brighten your day. Get your daily dose of variety. Alternative Talk, 1150. And welcome back, everyone. You are listening to Conversations Live with Vicki St. Clair, and we're talking today about do you really need that pill. And um, we're talking with Dr. Jennifer Jacobs about how to avoid side effects, interactions, and other dangers of over-medication. And uh, this book is full of really great information. I want to just touch on another set of drugs, uh, Dr. Jacobs, that you say many people aren't aware of, anticholinergic drugs. Um, So can you talk to us a little bit about those and why we should? Yes, yes. Many common drugs, such as antidepressants, uh, several different kinds of painkillers, antihistamines that you might be taking for allergies, are anticholinergic. And what these drugs do is they inhibit a chemical, acetylcholine, that is in the brain that helps transmit information from one brain cell to another. Half of all people over age 65 are taking at least one of these drugs. And they've been shown to be associated with twice, one and a half times the incidence of dementia and Alzheimer's disease. So it's very important that people know about these drugs. Taking only one of these drugs is not as harmful as taking two or three of them. Right. Right. And I I should stress, you know, we can only touch on the surface of this. The book goes into a lot more detail because as you get deeper into the book, you mentioned several pills that um, affect our memory and our brain. And um, it's really quite disconcerting when you read this, that these are, are things that are 
very, very, very heavily advertised on television, as you said earlier. Yes, I, I really wonder how much of the problems we're seeing with dementia are due to drugs people are taking. I mean, statin drugs have been shown to be affecting people's memories, uh, proton pump inhibitors for acid reflux uh, can affect uh, memory and cognition. Um, you know, several drugs do this, and uh, people aren't really looking into this enough, in my opinion. Right, right. Um, I also want to touch on uh, serotonin syndrome because this, um, I'd certainly not heard of it, and we've done a lot of medical shows, and people tend to think of, you know, serotonin as just being the happy, uh, <laughs> the happy drug, if you will. Um, but serotonin syndrome potentially could be a life-threatening condition. And uh, you say in the book more than 7,000 people develop it each year, and studies show, this is very alarming, studies show 85% of physicians have never heard of it, and nor do they know what drugs may cause it. And um, so I wonder if we can talk a little bit about that on page 12. And um, Yes, well, you know, again, it's, uh, it, it's a problem with drug interactions, which are, can often be very serious and even deadly. And many common drugs do affect the breakdown of serotonin in, in the brain. Uh, common antidepressants like Prozac and Zoloft, uh, medications for migraine, opiates, some cough syrups, and even herbal products like St. John's wort or ginseng can uh, cause interactions with each other that would lead to serotonin syndrome, which includes restlessness, nausea and vomiting, diarrhea, rapid heartbeat, and so forth. So it is another area that people need to be aware of. Right, right. So um, while we're talking about serotonin, let's just touch on this too, because I know I'm jumping around in the book a little here, but later in the book you, you share studies that say um, you know, many people think it's lack of serotonin that caused depression. And there are several studies that, uh, that say that's an absolute myth, that the lack of serotonin leading to depression is, is a non-issue. Yes, it, it, it is kind of common knowledge or common thought among people that depression is the problem of the chemistry in your brain. And most of the antidepressants that are given are to address this, to try to help change the chemical structure in the brain, when actually there really isn't a lot of evidence for this. Um, the blood-brain barrier, uh, which is a barrier between the brain and the bloodstream, uh, makes it difficult to measure these uh, drugs or these chemicals in the brain itself. So they measure them in people's blood, but they're not sure whether or not they're actually a problem in the, in the brain. Um, so most of the antidepressants are geared towards these, the serotonin reuptake inhibitors, SSRIs and SNRIs, uh, Prozac, Paxil, Zoloft, Effexor, Cymbalta, all of these uh, are based upon that idea, whereas studies have shown that simple things like exercise can actually improve depression just as much as these antidepressive medications with more long-lasting results. Right. Um, yoga was very high on that list, too. Yoga, absolutely. Um, Cognitive behavioral therapy is actually recommended as the first line of treatment by the American College of Physicians before antidepressants. But it all comes down to the idea that you can take a pill to take care of whatever ails you when actually there are other much more effective and natural things that you can do that will help you to avoid the side effects and interactions of taking so many drugs. Right, right. So I want to look at um, some medical 
conditions and, and the drugs we might use or not need. <laughs> we might use but not need. Um, but I, I want to just share this with listeners because you talk about how to avoid drug interactions. We would assume that our doctor knows all that stuff and that the pharmacy will catch it, but we can't rely on that. Um, one of the things you suggest is check your drugs on websites like uh, drugs.com to see if there are any potential drug interactions. Yes, uh, it's a very useful website. When we were having problems with my mother-in-law and all the drugs she was taking, we entered all of the drugs that she was taking into this interactive uh, space on the drugs.com website, and it came up with several different possible drug interactions that we really weren't aware of. My husband is also a physician, but it's really impossible to keep track of all of the different interactions, especially, Mm. I mean, you might know the interaction between one drug and a second drug, but when you have four or five or six or eight, it's it's almost impossible to to know how they're going to react together. Right, right. All right, um, I think we'll take the next break a little early because I'd like to dive into... um, as I said, medical conditions and the drugs we might not need. And uh, we can do that then without interruption. You're listening to Conversations Live with Vicki St. Clair. My guest is Dr. Jennifer Jacobs, and her new book is Do You Really Need That Pill? We'll be right back. Hi, this is Vicki St. Clair. If you have a business, service, or event and would like to deliver your message to a large audience, call me at 425-269-4772. Let Conversations Live shine the spotlight on you. Call 425-269-4772. Next week on Conversations Live with Vicki St. Clair, number one New York Times bestselling author Greg Isles. Following life-threatening injuries sustained in a car crash, Greg Isles found his way back to life through his writing and the characters he brings to life on the page. We'll also hear from returning guest author Glenn Eric Hamilton, whose stories always begin and end in Seattle. Find more details at conversationslive.net and follow Vicki on Twitter at Vicki St. Clair. Do something different with your spare time. Give baby animals at Paws a fresh start. With the assistance of caring volunteers, Paws helps hundreds of orphaned and sick kittens and puppies each year. Join us and save lives. Become a Paws foster care volunteer. For more information, visit paws.org or 425-787-2500. Paws.org or 425-787-2500. Thanks for listening to Conversations Live with Vicki St. Clair. Find out about upcoming shows at conversationslive.net. Some people know a good thing when they hear it. Alternative Talk 1150. And welcome back, everyone. Welcome back. You're listening to Conversations Live with Vicki St. Clair. And we're talking about uh, drugs, adverse reactions. Do you really need those pills? My guest, Dr. Jennifer Jacobs, spent many years as a uh, medical doctor in Seattle and spend your time now between Seattle and Arizona, right, Dr. Jacobs? That's correct. And so um, we're looking at, um, I want to go into some medical conditions, but I just wanted to touch on this real quick because there's a, there's a, uh, there's a condition called cascading, uh, let me find it, it was cascading, um, prescribing cascade or something like that when you take medications and they can actually replicate or you think you've got another illness when it's actually the drugs causing the problem. Yes, that's exactly what happened to my uncle, which I talked about at the beginning of the show. One drug would cause a side effect that's mistaken for a new illness and another drug prescribed for that and then a side effect of that is mistaken for another illness, and it becomes a vicious cycle. Yeah, it's really important that I, because I do remember my mother uh, had Parkinson's disease, so very quickly I'll share this. She had tons of medication, as you can imagine. They kept her alive for 26 years, so I'm very grateful for that. But there were times when she'd go into hospital and they'd give her morphine, uh, which knocked out all of her her Parkinson's medication, or they'd give her an, an antibiotic, which knocked out all of her uh her Parkinson's medication and we were told well that shouldn't happen but the fact is it did happen so we've really got to take some personal responsibility there and really watch what's going on with our bodies and and the bodies of our loved ones like you did with 
with your family, too. Yes, it, it is a big problem, and, and nobody really knows how all the different drugs interact together. We're kind of like guinea pigs. Uh, <laughs> well, we are because we're made up of chemistry and biology. So, I mean, you know, if, we, if we're uh, a scientific little experiment ourselves, then it makes sense. Yes. So let's look at some of these uh, common ailments. And I think, I think I was trying to think what I see mostly on television. And there's a, there's a series of, you know, high cholesterol is one. And, um, of course, Viagra is another one for, for men. And, um, and depression is one of the big ones. So what do you have to say about high cholesterol, cardiovascular disease, and what we're seeing, what people are giving versus what they might really need or not need? Yes. Well, you know, cholesterol has turned into the big bugaboo with heart disease when actually there's many, many factors that play into heart disease. You know, cholesterol is only one. There's also high blood pressure. There's also family history. There's also obesity. There's also lack of exercise. So cholesterol is just one thing, but apparently that's what the cardiologists want to focus on because that's what they can prescribe a pill for. Um, But it's interesting. There was a study of more than 500,000 people who were in the hospital for their first heart attack, and 72% of them had normal cholesterol. Mm. So that, I found, was really shocking. Um, and cholesterol is important in the body. As 25% of the cholesterol in your body is in your brain, where it's used to help produce the neurotransmitters that transmit information from one brain cell to another. So cutting down on cholesterol is something that they're finding is also causing people to have cognitive problems that could lead to dementia. Um, As far as instead of cholesterol, people have found that the Mediterranean diet is very good, which is high fiber, lots of beans, uh, fresh fruits and vegetables, seafood, um, sugar has been found to also be associated with, with heart disease. Another study showed that 80% of heart disease could be prevented by changes in smoking, diet, and exercise. And yet all we see is emphasis on taking a pill. Right, right. It's really quite frightening. Yes, yes. So let's look at um, let's look at high blood pressure because I know that's another very common uh, situation where people immediately take to medication um, because you know it, it it's quite frightening I would imagine to be told you have high blood pressure uh, because you know what the consequences can be. So, well, yes, it, it, there's a number of things I can say about high blood pressure. The first one is is a lot of people are diagnosed with high blood pressure who don't really have it. Because oftentimes when you go into the doctor's office, you're stressed, and that will push the blood pressure up. That's what happens to me. (laughs) Yes, and so um, experts recommend that blood pressure be taken three times in a day after sitting for five minutes relaxed, and that's not normally the situation. One blood pressure reading, oh, you have high blood pressure. The other thing is is that there is quite a strong association between diet, especially salt intake, and blood pressure. And I think most people know this, but in order to um, lower blood pressure, if a person will start reducing their salt, also weight, you know, if you lose a little bit of weight, oftentimes it can bring blood pressure down. So there's a lot of things that people can do to try to manage their blood pressure if it's actually high before they start taking drugs. Mm. And then what about low blood pressure? Because that can be equally as dangerous. Absolutely. And that's one of the dangers of blood pressure medicine is that it brings the blood pressure down too low and that can cause persons to become dizzy and faint and, you know, even cause broken bones. So there's actually an increased risk of hip fractures 
in people who are taking blood pressure medication because sometimes their blood pressure goes too low. Mm. Okay. So um, another common one is, uh, and especially with women, osteoporosis. Yes, this is another thing that I addressed in the book, um, osteoporosis. It's really sad, I think, how many women are told that they have problems with their bones when actually um, they have a normal amount of bone density for their age. The measurement that they do to determine whether or not a woman has osteopenia or osteoporosis is comparing their bone density to a 30-year-old woman. Well, of course, someone over 50 or over 60 is not going to have that much of a bone density. But the drugs that they give for osteoporosis have a lot of very dangerous side effects, um, one of which is an unusual type of uh, necrosis or deterioration of the jawbone. Um, and also, there's a lot of things people can do instead of taking these drugs that will help prevent osteoporosis. The main thing is making sure they get enough calcium and vitamin D in their diet. Right, right. So there's lots of great information in this book. We don't have time to... Uh cover any more illnesses right now because they really want to uh, have a conversation about the conversation we need to have with our doctor. A lot of people went, and uh, I say this because I used to make my mom write a list of what what questions she had because she'd get in the doctor's office and forget them all or, or he'd be talking so much and he's a specialist and very highly regarded that she'd just sit there and listen. So how do we bring this conversation up with our doctor and not feel intimidated? Yes, that's a very good question. Well, the first thing is to make a list of all the drugs that you're taking and have this ready and then bring up the subject that you're concerned about this at the beginning of your visit with the doctor because doctors are rushed and if you wait till the end, they'll just kind of breeze out of the room before you finish talking. Uh, So letting them know that you're concerned Um, If you have done a little bit of research on some of the drugs that you're taking that you're concerned you might not need, you know, bring that up with the doctor. And you might find that the doctor is um, open to talking to you about this. Most doctors assume that patients come in and they want a pill. So if they find out that you don't, then they might be willing to work with you to help you cut down on what you're taking. Okay. And then a final, very quick, because in the next segment, we're talking with uh, Sarah Ann Shockley, of course, who's written a book called The Pain Companion, and she's done this naturally for herself. But what, from a medical doctor's point of view, somebody who specializes in integrative medicine, um, what do you have to say about pain and some of those painkillers that we take? Well, it's interesting. One of the things I found when I was researching the book is that studies have shown that opiates, are really no more effective than simple over-the-counter painkillers like um, ibuprofen for chronic pain. This would be like hip pain, knee pain, back pain. Even though opiates are largely given, um, it's better to start actually with topical. There are topical creams and ointments that you can use on sore joints that often are um, effective enough that you don't need to take anything else. Also, exercise, uh, yoga, like you mentioned before, physical therapy, chiropractic, many, many, many approaches that you can take to help reduce chronic pain other than taking pain medications that you know can throw you into the hospital if you go too far with them. Right. Well, I really appreciate you being with us today. A final, very quick thought you'd like to leave our listeners with, Dr. Jacobs. Well, the main thing that people need to ask themselves are, are they willing to make lifestyle changes in their diet, start exercising, stop smoking, uh, make their own commitment to becoming healthy, 
or would they rather take a pill? And contribute to the nearly $600 billion pharmaceutical industry. (laughs) (laughs) Amen. Well, the book is called Do You Really Need That Pill? How to Avoid Side Effects, Interactions, and Other Dangers of Over-Medication. You can find about more about uh, Dr. Jacobs and her work at jenniferjacobsmd.com. Uh, thank you so much for being with us today. Appreciate it. Thank you, Vicki. All right, we'll be right back. We're taking a very quick break. You are listening to Conversations Live with Vicki St. Clair. Please stay with us. Let's see if I... I guess that... This just isn't working. Knowing you have a great idea for a book is one thing. Writing it, another. So what's stopping you? Maybe you can't find time. Maybe you don't know where to begin. Maybe you wrote a couple of chapters, then disappeared down a rabbit hole. Or maybe you'd rather someone else write it for you. Partnering with the right coach or ghostwriter can make all the difference between talking about your book and finishing your book. As an award-winning writer and strategic consultant, Vicki St. Clair's storytelling credits span from business, health, self-help, and memoir to New York Times and USA Today best-selling anthologies. Vicki partners with people just like you at the exact level you need, whether you need a little encouragement, editorial guidance, or full-blown ghostwriting and consulting services. If you're serious about telling the story you know is inside you, stop procrastinating. Let's get your story down on paper. Contact Vicki today. Email Vicki at VickiStClair.com or call 1-800-495-7617. See more about Vicki and her work at VickiStClair.com. This is Martha Norwalk. Every Sunday morning, beginning at 9 a.m., thanks in part to New Pro Supplements, we cover the world of animals. This week, August 25th, it's an encore presentation of the last Behavior Training and Healing Sunday with me. I shared animal alerts that are still current, other animal news, and as an animal behavior therapist and trainer, I talked with listeners about their animal friends to help them solve problems on Martha Norwalk's Animal World, Sunday morning, 9 a.m. to noon, right here on Alternative Talk, a.m. 1150. Did you know that capsizing boats and people falling overboard account for over 70% of boating fatalities? 80% of those fatalities occur on boats under 26 feet and on boats with operators who've had no formal boating instruction. 50% of all boating accidents involve alcohol. Be smart this summer. Know who you're boating with. Wear a Coast Guard approved life jacket and don't drink in boat. This message is brought to you by supporters of Conversations Live with Vicki St. Clair and the JMB Group, who wish you safe boating fun. Alternative Talk 1150, online at 1150kknw.com. And welcome back, everyone. Welcome back. You're listening to Conversations Live with Vicki St. Clair. And my guest in this segment is Sarah Ann Shockley. She's the author of The Pain Companion. Uh, in fall of 2007, she contracted thoracic outlet syndrome, which is, uh, I'll let her tell you more about that. But uh, she's lived with that pain, which is pretty debilitating ever since. She's been a columnist for Pain News Network and is a regular contributor to The Mighty, uh, which is an online member community for those living with chronic illness and pain. And uh, her new book is called The Pain Companion, Everyday Wisdom for Living with and Moving Beyond Chronic Pain. Sarah Ann Shockley, welcome. Thank you, Vicki. It's great to be here. And we're very pleased to have you here. And um, I know, uh, I think this is a great follow on to the last segment we did uh, about, you know, do you really need that pill? Because you wanted to heal yourself as far as you could naturally. And so, mm-hmm. first of all, let's just look at what happened to you. You, you were um, not, you, you had this situation arise. I mean, how how did it happen? Yeah, it's um, mine is a computer-related injury. Um, I was using, I'm almost six feet tall, and I was using a very small, like a mini laptop computer, so very non-ergonomic situation. And I was a single mom, so I was working uh, every day as best I could. And then um, the, the I wasn't working in an office. I was working with a private gentleman. So so I, so the situation wasn't set up correctly for our body to handle. And so over time, what happened is um, the area between the the clavicles, the collarbones, and the first rib 
collapsed. That's what thoracic outlet syndrome is. It's a collapse there. And in that little space between those two bone structures, you have the, the large scalene muscle from the neck and large nerve ganglia and a major artery and veins that all have to fit through there. And it's pretty tight fit already, but when it collapses, all of those things get squeezed and compressed and it's extraordinarily painful and it's very debilitating. It, it makes it difficult to turn the neck or use the head and move it from side to side. It's a lot of pain. Uh, it's difficult to use the arms. You, you lose a lot of uh, mobility. You lose your grip, your hands uh, and arms aren't very useful. And um, it's hard to even walk upright. So I had, mine was particularly severe. Um, there are people that have cases that are lighter than mine that tend to lend themselves to better physical therapy or uh, mine was so severe that whatever we tried made it worse. So I was pretty much left to my own devices to try to sort out how to live with this pain. Right. It sounds, I mean, just listening to you talk about sounds terribly painful. So what yeah. was the prognosis? Was it just, okay, you're going to have to have uh, drugs and you're going to have to have physical therapy? I mean, what what was... What were well, they proposing? For, yeah, for most people, they offer nerve uh, drugs, which didn't work for me well. I'm, I'm not really somebody who runs to drugs anyway. I tend to try to go to natural remedies, but I did try them in the process of, you know, doing what the doctor said to do. And they didn't really touch the nerve pain very much. And they had side effects that were pretty unpleasant. So I didn't go in that direction. And then for me, um, Mine was so severe that it it, it wasn't um, able to be helped by physical therapy. Again, it made things worse. And I did go to a thoracic surgeon just to get his recommendations. And he said, because sometimes they actually remove the, the first rib for people that have this um, to mm -hmm. create more space. Um, surgery also for me was not something I was you know really wanting to do. But I did go discuss it with him. He's a wonderful man. He spent a couple hours explaining the physiology of it. And he said that my case was so severe it would not be helpful. It actually could just it probably wouldn't go away. Right. So my prognosis was you, you're kind of your body is screwed up. It'll be screwed up for the rest of your life. And you're going to have pain for the rest of your life. Right. And that was basically what I was sent home with. Thanks very much. Um, <laughs> so you, you say that living with that kind of pain constantly has been one of the most challenging experiences of your life. You were a single mom. You say you could barely cook a meal for your yeah. son. Um, let's talk about the emotional side of the pain yes. and then we'll yes. look into the what, your, some of your pain solutions, if you will. Yes, because think, Because that's yeah. as big, if not worse, uh, I it's, think. It's very, very important. It's really a large part of what I talk about in the book and what I talk about with people is that we don't always recognize or understand that there's a lot that goes on around the physical pain itself. There's a lot of emotional pain. So those of us that have been living with pain for a while, we can kind of slide into this dark place of despair, um, depression. We feel very alone in our pain. Um, most of the time, we don't feel that people understand what we're going through. You know, pain isn't something that you can see usually. So when um, we tend to kind of over compartmentalize physical pain. We kind of over medicalize it. We say, well, it's just in the knee or it's just in the neck or it's this condition or it's that. And we give it labels, but it doesn't stay in those labels and it doesn't stay in those places. Pain tends to kind of ooze out and, and take over the whole life of somebody who's living with it. it. It tends to affect other parts of your body. It's very exhausting to be in pain all the time. And you tend to not sleep well, so you're sleep deprived, you feel like a zombie. And then you've also got this sense of extreme isolation. Um, and we usually feel really bad about not being able to heal ourselves, those of us who have been in pain for a long time. So we have an intense sense of guilt and shame around it. Um, most of the people around us and our doctors wish we would hurry up and get better, and we do too. So we have this sense of failure, not being able to heal ourselves. Right. Of you know, it's it, there's a lot that goes with it. Not to mention the fears. We often wake up with night terrors and panic attacks because of everything, not just about what's going to happen to us physically, but also how are we going to pay the bills? Are we going to be able to keep our house? Who's going to take care of our? I mean, we have tons of other things. So there's this entire package of emotional uh, responses and states that, that in, are involved with living with chronic pain. Right. And I, I think many people don't get that. I lived with somebody yeah. who was in chronic pain and it wasn't, and for many months lived in chronic pain and people would yes. say, oh, you've just got to pull yourself together and right. you know, do this and that. Yeah. And when he finally had the MRI, 
he almost cried with relief because he said, now I know there's something wrong. It's not all in my head. Yeah. Because Yes, yes. And that's such an important part of, of what I try to work with people is, is to let them know they're not alone. They're not the only one who feels like that. You know, we feel so isolated and we the intensity of the emotions, we don't expect them necessarily because we we're dealing with the pain, you know, the physical pain, and that's very demanding. But we don't always understand that what everything else that's going on is also part of it and that it's natural and it's what other people experience too. Right. And right. there's a reason for it. Yes. Right. Yeah. So, um, you know, many people you write say they think of pain as the enemy. It's, it's, it's what's invaded their body. It's taken yes. it over. Um, you say we should make friends with it. Yeah, not probably not a very popular thing. <laughs> first, first glance, like what? It's very counterintuitive. It's the last thing you want to do. And yet I found, you know, I spent first part of when I was injured, I, I tried to, you know, fight it. You know, that's what you're told to do. You either fight it or you give in. That's the two options we're basically given. Here's some medications or just go home and live with it. So, um, and for me, fighting it didn't work. Um, I, my condition particularly, but I think it's true of a lot of people, when you're under stress, when you're in that mode of or, or, or goal setting, I got to get through this or, you know, muscle up, get, you know, keep going, be strong. That actually adds a lot of tension to your body and it kind of closes things down rather than opening them up. And that's that that stance of pain is the enemy, pain is the invader. And you kind of get locked in this stalemate with pain where you're on one side with all your treatments and medications or you're just your willpower and pain's on the other. And right. you kind of get locked in this thing that doesn't move. You know, if it works, great. But for a lot of us, you know, we're living with pain for a long time. That's not really helping. It's not working. So I started to think about how can I be with this differently? Um, after like living with it for years. And, and again, I was a single mom, so I had to just keep going. It's not like it's not about giving up or anything, but just trudging along and being stoic and saying, I'm just going to bear it wasn't making anything better. It was actually getting progressively worse. So I just decided I've got to find a way to be with this differently. And if fighting isn't working, well, what if I do the opposite? What if I, and I've already tried putting up with it, ignoring it, that wasn't it. What if I met pain? What if I met pain where it needed to be met or where it wanted to be met? Not where how I wanted it to be, but pain was asking for something. And so I started to think of pain differently. Instead of as the enemy, I started to think of it as a signal from the body, as a messenger, as something with a positive purpose, as something that was trying to heal. It was like, oh, pain is my body saying, I need help. I'm trying to heal here. It's not just trying to torture me, even though it feels like that sometimes. It's it's crying out for attention. And the kind of attention we most often give it is to fight it and, you know, punch it or try to push it away or or cut it out of our bodies. And that's may might not be the kind of attention it's asking for or the kind of attention the body's asking for. You know, we were talking about pushing on and pushing through. And when we apply that mindset that we use for work in our lives, you know, carry on, goal set, get to the top, be resourceful, be independent, it, that doesn't necessarily apply itself really well to when we're trying to heal. Right. It seems the body's asking for something else, like almost the opposite. Right. Slow down, step back, be softer. Yeah, be kinder to yourself. And to pain, oddly. So you were an award-winning uh, filmmaker, I read. You were a former university instructor before all this happened. Um, yeah. um, it sounds to me as though you've treated this like your next big project, your next big career, if you will, um, <laughs> in order to get through it as well as you have. Well, you kind of have to... Um you don't want to do that. I mean, nobody wants to have to do that. Uh, you know, it's the last thing you want to do exactly. is have to make well, yeah. living with pain the thing that you're doing. But I had to realize that um, that my that life that I had lived was was not available to me at the moment, and to just kind of get through that, kind of accept that. Not again, it's not giving up. It's just saying, okay, this is where I'm at. I'm not that person right now. I'm not that. I can't do those things at the moment. So um, what my real job is now is to heal. It's not to hurry up and get back into the world and to be this and to be that. If I can't do it anyway, you know, just realize where I need to put my energies and my attention is on healing. Right. And, and how can I do that? Yeah. And just to not apply the same go get them attitude. 
you do need a lot of perseverance and you need, need a lot of determination and strength. Right. But the way you're applying it is a little bit different, kind of moving with pain rather than against it. So, so you, yeah. you've written the book now and um, obviously you, you can, you're a great speaker on this subject, so I'm sure you're going to help many people with this. Thank but, you. But how, what is life like for you now? Um, I mean, what, what, and tell us what a couple of things that were the really key cornerstone tools, if you will, that helped move you yeah. forward. Yeah, I'll see if I can do that. Um, we, only have, well, we only have a couple of minutes here. So I know, so I have to quickly say, <laughs> so life has definitely eased up quite a bit since I've been doing the things I talk about in the book. Um, I've given myself a break in the sense of uh, allowing myself to relax around it. I've used, there's a lot of things in the book I talk about in terms of exercises, awareness exercises, working with pain. Um, so, and I talk about antidotes to the the, the emotional um, challenges. So I've just worked with everything I talk about being being softer around pain. I work a lot with breath and awareness, um, being aware of breath and allowing pain to have breath and allowing pain to have more room. I also work a lot with expressing pain. I think it's really important for people who are in pain to find ways, both creatively and artistically, you know, that way of expression, but also finding someone to tell their pain story to. A lot of what happens is we feel so locked up inside our pain and inside of what's happening to us. And I'm not talking about a pity party and I'm not talking about when you list your symptoms to the doctor, but talking to somebody who can really hear, who can listen, who can be there for you. And you kind of have to set the groundwork first and say, you know, please don't try to fix me. Please don't try to give me any advice. Please just let me be where I am right now. Because um, a lot of times we're in pain, we feel wrong for being in pain. We feel really bad about it. And a lot of people around us are trying to be very, very helpful. So they keep giving us advice or they say, hurry up and get out of pain or why don't you try this or you're not trying hard enough. So asking the person to just step back from that, the biggest help we can give people who are in chronic pain is to, is to really give them the space to listen and to let them be where they're at before we ask them to move on. And that in itself is incredibly healing to just... Um, to witness, mm -hmm. to acknowledge, to validate, and to offer some compassion. Well, I think another great gift uh, to give to somebody who's in chronic pain would be your book, because it is, awesome. it, it's very easy to read. Again, I, I love these books that really are helpful to people, but are easy to digest, because yes. not everybody has time, you know, to sit and analyze stuff. Mm -hmm. And you keep these in very short, um, one or three page chapters. Yes. Yes, that was the idea to make it quite easy for somebody who's in pain. It's small, so it's easy to hold, and it's not overwhelming. You know, you can open up to any part of it and just read a little bit and get something out of it. All right. Well, I really appreciate you being with us today, and I just want to let listeners know uh, a website very quickly where they can find out more information about you. Uh, I've got thepaincompanion.com. Yes. Okay. Thepaincompanion.com is where you can find out more about Sarah and Shockley and her work, her book, uh, again, I'd really recommend this for somebody who's in a lot of pain. The Pain Companion, Everyday Wisdom for Living with and Moving Beyond Chronic Pain. And that's it. We're right at the end of today's show. I've got to run out of here before Eric kicks me out the door. So we'll see you next week. Until then, live well, live strong. Radio is very competitive. Shows soar in popularity and then flame out. Sometimes, however, a real connection is made with an audience, and success blooms year after year. For over a decade, Conversations Live with Vicki St. Clair has built a loyal following thanks to inspiring and stimulating conversation. Longevity, loyalty, exclusivity. Smart advertisers seek it out. With Vicki's valuable audience, the search is over. Discover the affordable, effective ways to advertise your business. Log on to Conversations Live. Live.net. That's conversationslive.net today.